A new study reports credit card rewards provide a lifeline for working-class Americans. Rewards like cashback empower low-income families to pay for everyday essentials. So why are DC politicians partnering with corporate megastores to end your hard-earned rewards? The Durbin Marshall credit card bill takes billions from American families, lining corporate pockets instead. Tell DC politicians to oppose Durbin Marshall. Learn more at electronicpaymentscoalition.com. I'm one of these people that, you know, you rip the rearview mirror off. You know, you don't look back. You, you know, you deal with what's in front of you because you don't have time to look back. You learn from everything you've done. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has had one of the most unusual careers in Congress ever since he won a special election in 2008 to replace Louisiana's Bobby Jindal. It's been characterized by long stretches of relative anonymity, punctuated by a series of life-altering events. In 2014, Scalise was quickly catapulted into the position of GOP whip after Eric Cantor was defeated in a shocking upset that reordered the House GOP. In 2017, Scalise was almost killed by a lunatic gunman while at a baseball practice for the annual congressional game. Earlier this year, Scalise was diagnosed with a blood cancer for which he's been receiving chemotherapy. And in October, when Kevin McCarthy was overthrown, Scalise, the number two Republican, thought it was only natural that his colleagues would want him to move up a rung. But they didn't. At least not enough of them. Scalise won an internal conference vote, but he abandoned his quest for speaker before it ever got to the floor for a final vote. Look, through a lot of these challenges I've been through, I mean, I know what's important in life, but also I I respect my colleagues and I didn't want to put them through, you know, 15 rounds of votes on the House floor and that sort of thing. So what happened? Well, there was his toxic relationship with Kevin McCarthy, the backstabbing of a fellow member from Louisiana, the Trump factor, and then at the end of the process, the man Republicans promoted, Scalise's new boss, was Mike Johnson a junior member of his home state delegation. I'm going to ask Steve Scalise about all of that and a lot more, including impeachment, why he'll vote against expelling George Santos, and how Mike Johnson is trying to use immigration to tame hardliners when it comes to the spending showdown with Joe Biden. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. Well, going through what you went through after being shot and now dealing with cancer, I imagine what happened in the speaker's race is like nothing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But let's talk a little bit about that because I haven't heard you really unpack and sort of look back and sort of grapple with how that all went down now that you've had some time to think about it. And I, you know, I've done a lot of reporting and looked into this extensively and would love to just sort of ask you about some of the the big dynamics that people often attribute to you not quite getting there. And and the first is this sort of fraught relationship with Kevin McCarthy. What happened uh, between the two of you? I think it's always complicated when you have the relationship between, you know, the number one and number two person in the house historically gets complicated. There's been good and bad examples, but I mean, uh, you know, with, with like Kevin Banner and I, and Cantor. it changed yeah. over time, but I mean, you know, like Mike and I get along great. Uh, you know, Kevin and I, I, I think just the way that Kevin got removed was a shock to everybody, including myself. I didn't want it to happen the way it did. And yet, 
when it happened, you don't have a choice. There's an opening for speaker and you have to make a, a quick decision because they call the election that day. They say, there's an election for speaker. Do you run or not? And other people are running too. And obviously as I got in, other people got in, but regardless, as you're in the race, I became the nominee, but you become the nominee, but you still have to get the votes on the house floor. 217 was, you know, what we call the magic number. And, you know, and we were approaching 200, but we're hitting a wall. And clearly, you know, as a former whip, I'm the majority leader today, but as the whip, you learn how to count. And, you know, and we were getting to a really good spot, but we weren't getting where we needed to get. And I had to make a tough decision. You know, do you go to the floor knowing you don't have the votes? And I had a lot of individual conversations with some of those members who just weren't yet there. Some of them might've gotten there in days or weeks or whatever, but look, through a lot of these challenges I've been through, I mean, I know what's important in life. My family and my health is the most important thing, but also I, I respect my colleagues and I didn't want to put them through, you know, 15 rounds of votes on the house floor and that sort of thing. And I said, if I don't have the votes, then um, I don't think it's the right time to go through this again, knowing what we had already been through. And so I stepped down and I think the members appreciated that I did it the way I did. It wasn't an easy decision, obviously. Well, but you have a day job but in a you nice know, office. But so. st staying on as a majority leader, you know, I still have a great job and an important job to run the House floor and to work with my colleagues to make sure our agenda moves forward and working closely with, with our current speaker. And Mike's doing a great job. And we're getting things done again. We got our agenda back on track, which was really important. And I think we've unified our members again, which is really What's important. What's the difference me. between the way that McCarthy led and the way that uh, Johnson leads? Well, you know, any speaker is going to be different, but I think it was just where our, our membership was after three weeks, people were ready to get back on track again. Because, you know, from the outside, I think it was being portrayed incorrectly as the Republicans were in disarray, which we weren't. I will say, there was did, a lot did, of disarray. I have to say, it did look like that. And there was a lot, and I will tell you this, there, there was a lot of very heated conversations, let's yeah. be honest about it, about how we change what was broken within our conference, but also it was much bigger than that. It was how we fix what's broken with this town. I mean, anybody that looks at Washington has to acknowledge the way Washington's being run is broken. It's not just how the Republicans run the House or how Democrats ran the House under Pelosi. Surely that was broken uh, that you can point to also. But I think where we wanted to go was how do we change it? So, so that it, kind of, it, it, looked, was, it looked chaotic. It was a lot outside. of constructive yeah. internal discussions that, probably needed to be confronted for years that ultimately came to a head. Do you think that means that Johnson has a little bit longer of a, a leash or, <laughs> or more of a honeymoon or whatever uh, yeah, you want to call like, it? Yeah, like uh, McCarthy, like in I, hindsight, it looks like he was- the There was a lot of goodwill that, you know, we, we don't want to just go through this again. And, and yeah, we address, yeah, right, again, right. We, we address the some of the problems. Of we have other rules changes we want to make. We have other- systemic changes we want to make, but but changing the culture of the way Congress works and Washington works was a big part of that discussion. And we've started to do that now, you know, getting, you know, next year, getting an appropriations process started earlier, uh, getting an agreement on the top line number earlier that we can all agree on, and then start writing those bills and staying on track so that we can ideally do 12 bills. That's a goal that we've got to try to stick to as we are moving another agenda. Well, you know, look, we've got a bill on the floor today to freeze the $6 billion that President Biden wants to give to Iran. Iran uses that money to fund terrorism like Hamas. 
We're bringing a bill to freeze that money. We're doing major policy in the meantime, and we're going to continue doing major policy, but just getting the House to do the basic functions of government and doing them on time and ahead of time are things that we're going to be trying to push and change along the way. Before you were in leadership, I believe I've got this right, that the last Louisiana to be in leadership was Hale Boggs in 1971. Yeah. Now you've got the number one and two <laughs> from Louisiana. Uh, Johnson is a, a Shreveport Baptist. You're a uh, New, New Orleans, Orleans Catholic. Yeah, Catholic. Uh, <laughs> What's, uh, tell us a little bit about <laughs> Louisiana politics and, and what that Louisiana means. Politics How does that make you guys different? It's as rough and tumble as it gets. I, uh, I so, came up in the state legislature of Louisiana, which you with know, Johnson, you, you see right? a lot. Yeah. We, we got to know each other. We didn't serve at the exact same time, but I knew him when I was a state rep 20 years ago. We, we, we knew each other through other things. You know, he was an attorney, um, actually represented some legislation that I worked on. We, we worked on other things together. And so I knew of him. Uh, and then he served in the legislature after I left uh, to come here. And, and we've been close friends when he came up. You know, I was already the Republican Study Committee chairman. He later became Republican Study Committee chairman. So we, we have a similar philosophy. He's a conservative. I'm a conservative from different parts of the state. And our, our parts of the state are different. You know, Northwest Louisiana is a whole lot different than Southeast Louisiana. People say New that's Orleans. basically Texas. Yeah, you got, you know, the he's on the Arkansas and Texas border, you know, representing Shreveport and Bossier all the way down to almost Lake Charles. And then I've got New Orleans in the suburbs of the city of New Orleans. And, you know, we both have energy, but I've got deep water in the Gulf of Mexico. He's got the fracking industry up in Northwest. So similarities, but differences and cultural differences as well different types of folks, but it's, it's more trust level. And I think Mike and I are working really well together is that while he came in as somebody who wasn't directly in top leadership, you know, kind of new to this, he's fit in well, and we have a trust of each other and, and he's worked well with the rest of our leadership team to at least stay focused on what our members want to get accomplished. And he's articulating it with the members. So, you know, we were able to get our agenda back on track after being off track for a few weeks. Do you ever sit here and think, I, man, I can't believe my uh, junior colleague is Speaker of the House. How the hell did that happen? It's, 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 it's exciting for Mike. I'm one of these people that, you know, you rip the rearview mirror off. You know, you don't look back. You, yeah. you know, you deal with what's in front of you because you don't have time to look back. You learn from everything you've done, you know, whether it's successes or mistakes. You want to learn from things in the past. But I mean... Uh, I'm lucky to be where I am. I'm lucky to have my health and, and a great family who, who, who supports me and loves me and, you know, kind of keeps me focused on uh, doing the things that I enjoy doing. And, and I love this job. And we got a presidential race next year. We're trying to fight to hold the house next year. We've got opportunities to grow the house, by the way, next year. And we're heavily focused on that. And I, and I like our candidates. I'm already meeting with have some you of endorsed, our new candidates I, I, next year. I should know this, but have you endorsed in the presidential race? Not directly, but, you know, clearly President Trump is leading the way and he and I talk on a regular basis. I wish he was president today, but uh, think that we talk you? a lot. No. Do you think not endorsing him hurt you? I mean, he no. he, he endorsed Jordan and he, he sort of raised no, your he, health he and issues. No, he and I talked during that period and I still won the nomination, by the way, during that period with him. And he never came out against me. And believe me, he and I talked yeah. even after he endorsed Jim. He said really good things about me. He cares about my health. He asked me about my health. But he uh, came to the hospital the night of the shooting. It was his birthday. And uh, he came to the hospital with Melania and was incredible to my wife and family. Even in the months after, I was in the hospital three and a half months during the shooting. Much different. You know, no, yeah. every tragedy is, is bad. But 
you know, you get cancer, you get shot, you're in the hospital. I was in the hospital during the cancer diagnosis for maybe six days, three and a half months during the shooting. So this really, um, those two He would bring my kids to the White House to give them tours. And my kids were maybe like 10 and eight at the time of the shooting. And it was a tough, tough time for them, not knowing if their dad was going to make it out. And uh, for him to, you know, care about them, knowing what was going on with me at the time was was really wonderful. And, you know, people don't see that side of Donald Trump. He, during Easter, on Easter, he brought him to the White House for the White House Easter party and just gave him a personal tour of the White House to get him out of the hospital, you know, while I'm stuck in the hospital, you know, getting better, but not able to leave the hospital. A new study reports credit card rewards provide a lifeline for working-class Americans. Rewards like cashback empower low-income families to pay for everyday essentials. So why are D.C. politicians partnering with corporate megastores to end your hard-earned rewards? The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill takes billions from American families, lining corporate pockets instead. Tell D.C. politicians to oppose Durbin-Marshall. Learn more at electronicpaymentscoalition.com. You think uh, McCarthy is going to resign? I have no idea. But, you know, look, Kevin served a long time here and gave great service, including a speaker. You know, whatever's next for him, he'll have other options. Uh, and they're going to be good options, and he deserves them. Yeah. But I, I haven't talked to him about what he wants to do next or when he wants to do it. But he's earned the opportunity to, you know, enjoy the next life after this, whenever he chooses that to be, and, you know, however long he wants to stay here. For all of our colleagues that leave they smile a lot more when they leave. Uh, <laughs> I tell them to stop hanging around the current members because they're going to see them and they're going to want to leave too. I mean, Bill what Johnson you? just got a, a great new job heading up Youngstown State. I'm excited for Bill, you know, and he'll leave, you know, sometime early next year. That date hasn't been formally set yet, but it's an exciting, like anybody that gets a better opportunity, you know, like what Bill's going to be doing. What could be better than serving in the House of Representatives? But, but it's a great job. I enjoy serving <laughs> in the House. That's why I'm still here. And uh Love this job and uh, an honor to do it. And there's be a day when we don't do these jobs. Yeah, ideally, you want to leave on your own terms. Yeah. You know, I equate politics to sports a lot. You know, you see athletes that don't know when to leave. The best athletes are the ones that get to leave on their own terms. And even few of them get to leave on their own terms. So you're lucky if you get to leave when you want to go. But make the most of it when you're here. And that's what I always say. One other piece of the speaker's battle, and I don't mean to dwell so much on it, but it was such a fascinating, watching it from an outsider, it was one of the most fascinating things to report on because, you know. <laughs> the palace intrigue is what I mean, seems you to love be politics as much as we right do. So, I love <laughs> policy. Obviously, the politics you know what? What drives a lot of that. But yeah. People always criticize the press for loving palace intrigue, but what happens in the palace is really important. The palace matters. <laughs> the palace intrigue probably sells more but papers. There, <laughs> I hate to admit that. Oh, but I don't think that's a whole other conversation. It's not about selling papers. It's 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 <laughs> it's about trying to explain the dynamics of these issues and human yeah, beings the personalities and personalities are involved and all that too. And I know some of it can be a, yeah. a little bit soap operish, but hopefully, the way if it's done properly, it, it educates people about about this place. Anyway, what happened with Garrett Graves? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a. That's I a mean, good he I really know. tried to screw you. Yeah, and funny, he'll he'll tell people differently. Like, I mean, in the end, we all make our decisions. And I wish Jennifer uh, were here right, to to answer that. question. No, you really don't. <laughs> what would she say? Like, be, I, hey, look, I mean, I I focus on 
leadership races, I've run a number of them. Okay. You know, yeah. you go back even RSC is not a, a leadship race, but you're, you're 175 members. You're talking to a lot of individual yeah, it's like members. like 80% of, of the conference. It's, yeah. And so, you know, and then I ran for WIP and that was the first leadership race I ran. And, and so when you run for a leadership race, you're, you're having, you know, pick your number, you know, 247 seat majority. We had a 212 seat, whatever your number is, you're talking to 222 people. You're, you're having individual conversations and each person has things that they either care about or don't want to talk to you about. Not everybody wants to talk to you. And the folks that want to talk to you, some will commit immediately. Some will tell you they're with somebody else immediately. And some people tell you something that you know isn't the case and you find out through other means that they're not there. They're, you know, Or someone like they might tweet, I'm with this person. So you know they're with somebody else and that's fine. I mean, I talked to folks that tweeted they were with Jim Jordan. Like, okay, I know you were Jim, but look, could you be with me on the floor? And we'd have those conversations and they were good conversations. Again, yeah. this isn't animus. This isn't, you know, if you're trying to be vindictive, you're not going to last long in this business. So this was more just kind of sharing with people what your vision is. And look, I get, you know, you might be voting with somebody else on the secret ballot, but I still want you to know what my vision is because if we get to the floor, I want to have an opportunity to make a case with you on what I would do as speaker. And I had that those kind of conversations even with folks that had expressed support for somebody else. And um, what his reasons were, he never shared, so I don't know. Did he, but did, some people did. You, but I had, I had members who would share why they were with somebody else. I mean, Do you respect a, a member who tells you straight up why, why I'm not with you versus someone, candor. versus someone who BSs you? All you ask for is candor. You can read through the, the, the BS. And believe me, anybody who thinks that there's secrets in this town, they're not. You yeah. know that as the press, I can surely tell you as a former whip, more even than majority leader, you find out everything that happens. You eventually find it out. There are no secrets. Do you, are you confident that this, the reports of him telling other members who are on the fence, raising uncomfortable things from your past, that that, do you have no doubt that that was true? Oh, I, I, I know what was being said. I mean- medical opinions that were being given that were completely false. I had a doctor from MD Anderson, the top myeloma cancer specialist in the world, who along with my local doctor was looking at all of my blood work and meeting with me on a regular basis, who said, everything you're doing is fine. The cancer is almost gone and you're going to live a long life. He's looking at my blood work. And then there's some unnamed member of Congress who's <laughs> naming somebody that pro might not even be a doctor saying he's going to die in six months. I mean, it was that's that how, bad. That's, that's how bad. It, that's how bad it was. Again, it's rare that that was a small, you have I, a reputation. And I don't know if that, and I, I will tell, I don't even know if that moved votes. I right. really don't think it moved votes, but it showed you the, the lack of character of other people. You have that's a reputation of being one of the nicer, if not the nicest, I don't want to say nicest, there's a lot of members, that, but you have a reputation yeah. of being a very nice member. I try to reporters keep fairly, but, but, honestly. And, 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 but you, know, you don't seem that, you know, I'm surprised that you're not a little more uh, vindictive about some of this stuff, about like some you, of the backstabbing. You know what people, again, there's no secrets. Yeah. So anybody who thinks they're pulling one over on you, just know everything comes out in the wash. So if you're going to do something, be honest about it. And most people are. Most people were upfront, including people who said, I'm not going to vote with you on the floor. I mean, I have that list. Yeah. You know, because I would talk to those members and I would go back to them multiple times. And that's where we hit a wall. And again, that's when I made a decision. I want to make a decision based on the facts. You know, it's hard for me to make a decision if you're lying to me and if I can't tell that you are, but luckily in this job over time, I guess you won't be able to do a job like whip, especially if you can't tell somebody's, 
not being candid with you, but once you see that the path isn't there, you know, you go follow up. And I confirmed enough to know in the small majority, you get to five, you're not there, you know, right. and, and I got well beyond five. And I said, okay, say we're close to a dozen, the numbers are not there. Now I got to look in the mirror and make an honest decision. Am I going to put my colleagues through that? And, and we decided no. And that's what I shared with everybody. But it started with first going, you know, and talking individually to people to see if we could get there. And once we couldn't get there, then I yeah. had to make that tough decision myself that was on me, but make it based on facts, not based on what you personally want, because it's you very, have to be objective. You have to, you don't want to surround yourself with yes, men. One of the great parts of a job like this is you can find really talented people to put around you. Don't put yes men around you in any job that you take, but especially if you have the opportunity, put people around you who are going to be honest with you and give you good advice because you want to make decisions based on sound, rational judgment, because that's what's going to ultimately yield the best decisions. The Freedom Caucus uh, suddenly embracing the caps that McCarthy negotiated with the administration. What's your view of, of, of the dynamic that's going on with that? Well, we need to get an agreement on what the spending levels are going to be. But I think where everybody right now is in a much better place is that we're not going to have one of these end of year Christmas Eve omnibus bills. And this is something that Speaker Mike Johnson, uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, from Freedom Caucus to Republican Study Committee to the Republican governance group have gotten sick of where you see Washington not do its job and it's Thanksgiving and then we punt for a few weeks and you get to Christmas Eve and inevitably some bill 3,000 pages long that nobody read gets dropped by dark of night and voted on and nobody knows what's in it and it's got hundreds of billions of dollars of spending items nobody knows about. It's got trillions for all these agencies and then everybody leaves town for Christmas and everybody's angry about what happened. And we said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're breaking that cycle. And so I think the thing that's got a lot of members in a better place is that, yes, we're going to get an agreement on the top line spending numbers, but we're not going to have an end of year big omnibus spending bill on Christmas Eve. We're going to go to mid-January. So we're going to break Johnson, it up into individual bills. And then we're going to have a fight over border security and substantive policy to fix some of these problems that are plaguing our country. If I'm reading you correctly... The fact that there's no big omnibus at the end of the year because of the staggered solution that Johnson came up with and the fact that border security is going to be focused has reduced some of the temperature and pressure on the top line numbers and has, has made the sort Not of McCarthy- the only thing, but- But like, is that, I'm reading between the lines, is that what you're saying? But is I think those a are the lot fights? of members realize you're going to have a number of issues to fight over, yeah. you know, well, and there's going to be a fight. That's always true. And ultimately, you've got to figure out- you know, where's the fight going to be? And, there, and there's some people that, that have always said, there's never going to be a fight. When is there going to be a fight over something real? And, and look, for us, you know, we want to get our country back on track, but border security has become one of the biggest unifying areas where our conference came together to pass HR2, a really strong border security package that shows the country how to fix a problem that's affecting not just border states, every state in America. You know, when the New York mayor is saying this could destroy New York City, you know, major Democrat mayors are calling on President Biden to fix the problem, and Biden doesn't want to. We want to fix it as House Republicans. A lot of Democrats across the country want to fix it. Biden doesn't. So we laid down a marker and said, this is going to be a problem that we go to battle to fix. And Speaker Johnson has made that very clear to the president. There's other stuff the president wants. Border security has to happen first. So it sounds like a prioritization of issues. And yes. spending is uh, yesterday's Spending's battle. part of that. And what, you, what you want front and center, though, is this immigration fight. And the by the border, way, the you, save, you save 
tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars if you also solve the border problem. Because you got not only millions of people coming across illegally, and they're in every community in America. Nobody knows how many, nobody knows where they're going. They're being put in schools, they're being put in public parks, they're being put everywhere, nobody knows who's paying for it. But there's also the drugs that are coming across, the human trafficking that's coming fentanyl. across, that's having a major toll. You know, 140 young people a day are dying because of the fentanyl alone that's coming, you know, being made in China, coming across our open southern border. This is a major problem that's having other costs that you also address if you fix the border. What's your view of what you know of the emerging deal in the Senate so far? You have seen slow movement in the Senate, no movement at all on HR2. Great border policy. Well, I'm talking about HR2 like the- and the Homeland Security bill. So we've sent an appropriations bill that funds the necessary things to give our border patrol agents. And, you know, for most of our members on the Republican side, we've been down to the border personally. We've embedded with border patrol agents who have told us what needs to happen to fix the problem. So we put that in the funding bill. The Senate needs to take all of that up. And there's a negotiation going on right, right. now McConnell has with not the embraced HR2. What McConnell is pushing is for these six senators to come up with something that unlocks But it's got to be real and substantive. Any opinion on, on what they're coming up with so far on some of the asylum changes? Throughout our time for people coming here legally, we've got a great legal system. It's just we don't enforce the laws anymore. And if you get back to rule of law and say, if you want to seek asylum, follow the law. Stay in Mexico. Stay in your home country used to be the standard, but remain in Mexico. Said so even if you come through other countries, you have to stay in Mexico until that gets adjudicated. And most of those claims are denied, and then you go back home. Is, is uh, that's what we need to get back to is those policies that were working. The Senate is not going to go for HR2. Right, neither McConnell or or well, you Schumer interested start with in the that. premise. You should start what? with what is going to solve the problem. Does the Senate want to f solve the problem of, of an open southern border? I would ask any senator that question because I've heard senators, including Democrats in the Senate, say they want to secure the border. Yeah. Well, if they you want to secure that. the border, you can't say I'm against HR two. What's your answer? If your answer is fig leaves that just fund an open border, that's not going to fly what's, in the House. What's your if, if you had to pick your favorite policy in HR two, what would it be if you had to prioritize? It, there were a lot it, of you, negotiations over. Clearly, if you look at the yeah. things that worked, you know, getting back to remain in Mexico, uh, a normal asylum process where you go to that rule of law, the Northern Triangle agreements. And, and again, you've you've got to stop catch and release. The idea that you come into America and you're given a get out of jail free card and saying show up in five years. And we never see those people again. We don't even know where they are. They're put on a bus or a plane to some other state. The governors of those states aren't even being told where they are. That has to end too. Catch and release has to end. On the resolution to expel Santos, I haven't seen what you've said about this. I'm sure you've talked about it. What's your view on this resolution? He ought to get his day in court. I know there's a process. Yeah. Have you called for his resignation? No, I, I've no. said, you know, he's going to have a trial. He, he ought to be able to go through that court process. You know, I, I'm concerned about the things that I've seen. But again, you know, we do live in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty, and you have an opportunity to go before a court of law, which he is going to That's fair. go before. Fair. He hasn't done that yet. And he ought to have that right, like every other American citizen, to remove a member of Congress when they've been duly elected. I have a concern being from South Louisiana saying, I'm going to remove the will of the voters of the people of the state of New York who sent him here when he hasn't had an adjudication in court. He's going to have that opportunity, uh, and he's going to have to face that day, but he hasn't yet. What do you think the conference is on that question? I think you'll see a split vote. But, uh, you know, if there's a two-thirds vote requirement for a reason to remove a member. It should be a very high bar to remove a member of Congress. So it doesn't matter what the party is in power. You shouldn't just, uh, you, you know, it shouldn't be easy to remove a member of Congress. And it's rare, by the way. It hasn't happened 
in a long time. And, you know, with the exception of, I think, James Traficant, who was in prison when it, the last time it happened, you go back to the Civil War. So, I mean, there's, yeah. you know, the, there's, it's not a, a power that Congress exercises often. And, and it should be a rare exercise, especially when you have a court system that allows people to see their day in court on, on criminal matters. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of the people who are in favor of this resolution are pointing to the fact that the alleged crimes are so serious. But once you expel someone for that, what, what you're arguing is the bar is going to be lowered the next time someone gets in some trouble. Yeah. And everyone's going to be calling for their expulsion, yeah. and, even if it's he, not as serious. And he already has charges before him in a court of law that he's going to have to face. That, that doesn't go away. No matter what the vote is, he's still going to have to face those charges. Let's talk about another big issue this week, which was uh, impeachment. What should our listeners know about House Republicans and the impeachment effort? So we've got a number of things going on. But if you look at the investigation that's been going on, especially into the Biden family, you've got three different committees that have been involved in what right now is an impeachment inquiry. And that's looking into and getting more facts on what really happened with not just Hunter Biden, but ultimately what led to direct payments to Joe Biden. And we've actually identified now cash payments that go all the way from foreign countries, multiple foreign countries through shell corporations, multiple shell corporations, millions of dollars, ultimately into the private bank account of Joe Biden. That's well documented. He says there was their repayment for loans. Well, to hey, family did he members. ever document any of those as loans on right. any of his taxes? We have not seen, by the way, one document where he's backed that up. And the but if I loan you money and you pay me, if if you loan me money and I pay you back, you have no way of knowing how the source of what I'm paying you back. Well, it might right? be different if two years ago I told you a different story about that money because two years ago he said he had absolutely no involvement in his son's business dealings. Today, now he's admitting he did have involvement in his son's business dealings, but he's changing even what that story is. So he initially said he had no involvement. Now we have documents of him meeting with his son's business clients, and he's admitting that. That's a what's difference the, in his own the, story. What's the high so the crime? President's what's the high crime or misdemeanor, though? That's why you have an impeachment inquiry. We haven't filed those articles well, of impeachment out of this, but you ultimately still have a lot of information we're trying to get from the White House that the White House won't turn over. Was that your view? That's why we're trying to get that information through the subpoena process. But didn't you argue that Pelosi was putting the cart before the horse a few years ago with the first Trump impeachment? I'm pretty sure I remember you saying that, no, there's no high crime or misdemeanor here, and we don't, you don't do an inquiry unless you have the evidence. So is there a little bit of a switch on this well, issue? Well, that's why we're doing the inquiry now. And then you build the case and you get the facts. But isn't that what the Democrats argued but I'll on, tell you, on Trump? Well, look at what they accused President Trump of versus the facts we've already gotten. We've gotten now the White House to change their tune multiple times on this story. The White House themselves have changed their story. We haven't. The facts haven't changed. More facts have come out. And as more facts have come out, the White House continues to change their story. That should be alarming already. We have over 80,000 documents where the president used alias names that were trying to get accurate names from the White House on that they won't give us. Over 80,000 times the president used aliases. Please show me a time in the country's history where that's been the case. Anyway, regardless, we're going to continue to get the facts out, but we've already seen alarming things where you've, again, get millions of dollars. How many Americans get checks for thousands of dollars from shell corporations from foreign countries? Probably doesn't what? happen that often. And if it happens multiple times, that bank would have to file documents with 
They're regulated. You're not buying this. Happened with Joe Biden. You're not buying. So the they. Re- so Joe Biden should get a pass. I don't think so. You're not buying the repaying the loan. Uh, repaying excuse. a loan when he didn't even claim right. it as a loan. Uh, today he might say it was a loan. He didn't say it was a loan when he got the check years ago. That's that's what should raise red flags with people. Is when he got the money, it wasn't being listed as a loan repayment because it wasn't. He was saying, "I never did any business with my son." And then right. it turned out he was doing business with his son and other family members. It wasn't just his son. It was other family members, too, from foreign countries. And we're talking about millions of dollars. Well, you seem incredibly resilient. So I think- well, there's more important things in life that you've got to stay focused on. And uh, God's got a plan. I don't know what that plan is. I've trusted him, and he's gotten me this far. And, uh, you know, whatever that next thing is that he wants me to do, I'll figure that out along the way. He knows what it is, and, and he'll show it to me when it matters. Congressman, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We'll do it again. And that's our show. Our producer is Kara Tabor. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Tell us what you think about the show or who you'd like to hear on Deep Dive. Email me at rlizza at politico.com. And please subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.